Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode number 26. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and in this episode, I'm talking to Corky Lang. You may not know the name, but you know the band Mountain. Corky was the drummer for Mountain, the legendary hard rock band that gave us Mississippi Queen. Uh, just a tremendous band. Corky has had a long and storied career. I talked to him a little bit about his career, about his influences, and a bunch of other topics, including his most recent release, Toledo Sessions, which he put together with Chris Shutters and Mark Michael. And it harkens back to the old Mountain days, uh, a lot of great songs on it. It's just a tremendous album. I got to talk to him a little bit about that album, a little bit about his secret sessions that he did with a, the band was called Pompeii, but it was essentially a Corky Lang solo album that was done over the course of several years with a number of excellent musicians like Eric Clapton, uh, John Sebastian, Mick Ronson, Ian Hunter, Leslie West, and more. I mean, just a, he's, the guy's played with everybody. He's, he's really had a very storied career, and uh, I enjoyed talking to him with the exception of the fact that right in the middle of our conversation, he was interrupted by a phone call, and you'll probably hear some dings in the background of his phone uh, going off on some texts as well, because as we were doing the interview, he was notified and then subsequently notified me about the death of Charlie Watts, the legendary Rolling Stones drummer. So I'm talking to one legendary drummer, and we find out about the passing of another. It was kind of a sad moment, and uh, you know, still we're still all kind of dealing with the shock of the loss of a Rolling Stone. But uh, Corky was a great interview. I enjoyed uh, spending some time with him. So without further ado, let's get to that Corky Lang interview. Here we go. All right, welcome back to another episode of Michael's Record Collection. I'm very happy to have with me today legendary rock drummer Corky Lang from the band Mountain. Corky, thanks for your time today. You're very welcome. It's my, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Where are you in the world right now? On the world, we're just outside Toledo at Bowling Green, at the Bowling Green University. Well, okay. we're not there, but we will be there. We're at a club called Howard's, which is a great music uh, 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 location here in the Ohio Valley or wherever it is. And uh, it's quite nice. It's quite beautiful. And um, I am here with Richie Scarlett. And Mark Michael, two of the best musicians I could find at this point. Uh, and uh, well, at this point, uh, as you know, Michael, a lot of our brothers and sisters are moving on in their life and moving on in their afterlife. So uh, we are doing a tribute, sort of a tribute tour to Leslie West and Jack Bruce. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the songs that I recorded and I played with them on these shows. And I have to say, Michael, I know yours is a sentimental type of show. So this is kind of a sentimental tour because 50 odd years later, these, this audience loves the repertoire. The repertoire has shown, you know, it's ubiquitous and it's, it's really a wonderful thing. It sounds corny to see these people show up to hear these songs. I am not playing the last number one hit song right now. I'm playing a repertoire that seems to have, it has the substance to maintain. And uh, I'm thrilled by it because again, a lot happened, as you know, a lot happened over the 60s and 70s musically, and it continues to happen, but somehow, somehow it's, it's, it's hanging in there. It's really, People love it. They really yeah. love it. And I love it. I mean, you know, I love play. It's not like wussy kind of material. I would be careful when I say that, but it's hardcore rock. And it's great to keep playing that way. I have to play every day, no matter what, just to maintain that energy. And then, of course, I try to bring in some technique, whatever that is. <laughs> and But it's a sentimental journey in a lot of ways. But we play it with a very current vibe. Okay. What's the newest song? What's the newest song in your set? The newest song would be Beautiful Flies and okay. another set, Knock Me Over. Uh, these are from the new record I recorded, which is just coming out again because of the COVID. Mm -hmm. um, it's called The Toledo Sessions. Right. And it's, it's, I have to say, it's one of the, my, my favorite records. A lot of it has to do with the newest. Mm -hmm. but, but the song Knock Me Over 
when you go into a studio, if I'm rambling, by the way, Michael, it's because I've had 14 coffees. Okay. You know, so you're going to deal with that. Shut me down anytime. The song itself, Knocked Me Over, is very much an attitude. When you are on the road and you're traveling, you come back and you talk to your friends and they say, been there, done that. I hate that expression. I don't hate many things, but I hate that expression. Uh, because if you've been there, done that, you may as well just buy the farm. Forget it. You know, what's, what's, what's ahead of you? So the song Knock Me Over is about that, the antithesis of that, where you want something that's really going to bolt you over. You mm -hmm. want to write something that means something more than anything you can anticipate, if I could say that properly. Yeah. What, what I like about Knock Me Over is that it's a song with um, a bit of a slow tempo, but underneath your drumming isn't slow. Your drumming is actually, you know, a, a little bit faster than what you're the, than the song that you're hearing. put that it was a little bit fast i love it the truth yeah. is when it came to that i was having such a good time it was kind of like i played everything i knew over the last 50 years and and i remember telling mark who was producing it as i said mark you may want to pull out some of that drum so i'm really over the top and mark said wait a second it's your record you can do anything you want play people don't mind that and i appreciate you saying that because i did overplay it but it does Yes, I, I I played ahead of everything because, as you can see, I'm pretty wired up in my life. I guess that's why I play drums. But um, I'm very happy with that record, the Toledo Sessions. Mm -hmm. And if I can be a promo slut right now, you can get that record on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. And uh, I don't know much more. But I have to say, if anybody doesn't like the record as much as I do, that to write me at my website at, at uh, corkylangworks.com and, and I will return it. I will return the money for the record. I've said that a few times over the past tour, and I'm glad to say people just love it. They just, it's, you know, uh, uh, the people that are, I respect, when they come back and they're brutally honest, they tell me exactly how they feel about whatever I'm doing, whatever anybody's doing, the brutal honesty is very valuable, especially with people you respect. And I'll say it again, the response has been terrific. You Period. do not have to return a lot of uh, people's money for this. Uh, you mentioned Beautiful Flies. That's the album opener. And it's it's definitely sounds like old school mountain. It's got that sound too. It's got that flavor to it.
that's the biggest that's one of the biggest compliments i won't stop you carry on yeah no that's that's when you know you get a lot of promos when you do this kind of thing and you you get this thing and you're going okay what does this sound like you know and then you put it on your and this one was one that grabbed me that that song grabbed me immediately was like that sounds like mountain to me so yeah that i think you guys did a good job but what i want to know from you because I've seen it, it came out in 2019 originally, and I've seen it as Corky Lang, and I've also seen it as Corky Lang's Mountain. Which is it? It's both. What happened was the record company at first said, well, do you want to mention Mountain? Because you are uh, you're spot on with the fact when we were recording it, we have to have some sort of vision when you go into the studio. And this is off the floor. This is not like a lot of high tech records. And I say it again, Mark, Michael, and at the time, Chris Shutters played beautifully. It was great to play with them. We just played. And as we moved along, we had to say, well, what song What do you, you know, you have to have some relative um, uh, point to work from. And we did say, well, if we're doing it high energy, Let's go for some of the high energy mountain climbing songs because mm-hmm. uh, Nantucket Sleigh Ride was a little bit more aesthetically, uh, I guess it was just a little bit, I wouldn't say softer, but in a way, mountain climbing, when you make your first record, you're banging it out, yeah, uh, Michael, you know, you're, you're just doing the most you can. So that record has the energy. And uh, I just, um, and anyways, I'm, I'm thrilled that you see it that way, but we were looking to do the best we could to do that because I was very, very lucky to have co-written songs on that mountain record mm-hmm. because the, Leslie had a few songs, but Felix, it was new. He had just finished Cream and the Young Bloods, and he came in and from what he told me about the Krim Disraeli Gears, they didn't really have that much material together. And um, they wrote it on the spot. So we did the very same thing in many cases mm-hmm. um, when we did this record Toledo sessions we we did we we reflected on let's say the road goes ever on we were thinking a theme for an imaginary western you know the broad sort of um, I call it a, like a wave coming mm-hmm. in and an undertow you you have the undertow pulling you out and you have the wave coming in I don't know if I'm uh, if I'm something's kicking in from the 60s, Michael, but I'm trying to explain something. <laughs> I'm trying to explain the attitude of certain songs. Yeah, There's, it's a little bit it's a little bit psychedelic, but I won't try to I won't try to get too far ahead of myself. Yes. Thank you for the compliment, Michael. That's excellent. You. Yes, I'll take the mountain, uh, you know, uh, relevant thing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, now, it's interesting that. I'm actually, I actually grew up in Ohio. So I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked a lot of my friends. How did you end up in Toledo? (laughs) Oh, that's a good call. I'll tell you quickly. What happened is I had a buddy of mine, Kofi Baker, Ginger Baker's son. Mm -hmm. And he was playing around Long Island. He was playing New York and he knew I was looking for a guitar player. I mean, I have to say, I get a lot of people saying, well, we, you know, they want to join up with me and play mountain songs. I didn't want to play mountain songs unless they sounded like the record, you know, in other Mm -hmm. words, everybody's jamming on it. Warren Haynes, I'm going to digress. Warren Haynes, when I went to play with him at the Beacon, uh, he said, you know, Corky, when I, he he was a mountain freak. He was terrific. And he said, I would invite you to play with me if I thought that you remembered the songs. And he was right. (laughs) Leslie and I, over the last years, have jammed so much we went off to wherever and people didn't recognize the song and that's serious stuff so i remember coming back and saying this is a couple of years ago and saying you know what if i'm gonna do mountain songs i want to do with somebody that can you know project that mountain vibe kofi baker when he was playing down at the um at um what was his name? The guitar player. Oh, geez. Uh, Les Paul. Les Paul's club in New York had. And Kofi says, come down. I've got this guitar player that I think could could really solve your your problem with the projecting the mountain vibe. Mm-hmm. And I went to see him. And this guy, Chris Shutters, is playing with uh, with Kofi. And apparently Chris Shutters I, apparently was one of the top blues players uh, on the Chicago scene. So I got to know Chris Shutters and he comes up to uh, 
up to where I'm living in Greenport to play. And his commitment just to say, yeah, let's hang out for a bit. And he said uh, he would love to do the repertoire. You know, we picked out a couple of songs and we we played a few things. And then he said, I got a bass player. I think you should meet. I think he could. I think he's the guy we want to fulfill the trio. So I drove with Chris all the way to Toledo from New York uh, that week or that. Yeah. Within that time zone. And I run into Mark Michael and his home studio. And immediately somebody says, why don't you come down to this club, uh, the Broken Bird or something or some bird club to jam. So we go down there and Mark Michael has already learned the bass parts and the vocals. So there, it's just like we, we arrived, Michael, and we played. And it was like, it was brand new and it was brand old, you know, it was right there. So that's why I ended up in Toledo, which by the way, is a great town. Very heavy, heavy music. I remember I was there for the first week or two. Every night we go to a different place different band one band better than the other great musicians i was uh, i was pleasantly surprised when mountain was on the road and we were on the road with jack bruce and west bruce and lang ohio's a heavy rock rock state you know it's yeah. it's the rock belt and uh so i wasn't surprised to be here and we're back here again playing a place called howard's in bowling green you know and uh it's great. The place is a great place. This is the first place we played uh, with uh, with with Mark and Chris. And now we have Rich uh, Richie Scarlett uh, with the most dangerous guitar player in the area. I love that. Dangerous. <laughs> is that a musical term? You know, anyways. Uh, and I'm not getting my hair right here, Michael. I, I'm sorry. I should have. You look great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We should all, you know, we should all have that much hair when we're your age. <laughs> I already have less. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I, I, the point is, is that it's a pleasure to talk about music and Ohio. There's some energy here that's really cool. Very cool. You know, and I, I don't have to tell you, out there in America and Canada, a lot of people are hurt. You know, the gigs, the promoters, it's really, it's, I don't know how we're going to get out of this musical, uh, uh, you know, hiccup, whatever you call it, but um, it's tough, but you know what? It's what we do, right, Michael? That's we just, right. we just do this. Carry on. I'm talking too much. Go okay. ahead. Well, yeah, I love the Rust Belt. Got a, a soft spot for that. Obviously I grew up there and they've broken a lot of bands over the years from, from radio stations in Cleveland and Detroit and Toledo and places yeah. like that. So uh, I'm definitely, uh, I, I feel your vibe there. So tell me a little bit about, uh, I want to go back a little bit and, and talk about, obviously, the song everyone knows, Mississippi Queen. and your drum parts those were already done you brought those into the band is that right yes yes i did and leslie took it home you know he sang that thing right away mm -hmm. i remember bringing in the lyrics which i wrote in nantucket uh at a time when uh a friend of mine brought up his girlfriend uh, from mississippi and she was dancing there with a see-through knitted dress in the middle of the summer there at this at this beach club and i I had taken some soul pills, so I was feeling pretty good. And and the lights blew out in Nantucket. It was like hot like it is right now. Right mm -hmm. now, as a matter of fact, 51 to 52 years ago was when I wrote the song. And I remember 
everything, the power blew out. The only thing is the drums were fine because I wasn't electrified. So I kept playing and I started screaming this lyric and I remembered it because they kept dancing. Michael, when you're playing the cowbell, people love to dance to the cowbell. <laughs> so I hit the cowbell and that summer, that summer I went back to New York with the band, with my band, Energy. And that's when Felix, Felix Leslie asked me to join in and actually make the band Mountain. That's when it mm -hmm. became a band with Steve Knight. And that's so, just a month after Woodstock, you joined the band. Exactly right. Exactly right. Came in and Leslie said, you got any songs? We got to get some material here. I went to his apartment and I, I actually had the lyrics that I wrote. I saved the lyrics. You know, because I went, wait a second, these lyrics, you can dance to these lyrics. It was basically your rap, if you want to know the truth. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, and I brought it, I put the left, I put the lyrics down within a New York minute, Leslie, da -da -da -da, and he's singing it. It was like it wrote itself, just like that. So I give Leslie lots of credit for that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but it was one of those songs that really just wrote itself. We brought it into the studio, and Felix says, What is this? I Celestia said, well, we got this thing. And I played the the beat to Cripple Creek. If you listen carefully, up on Cripple Creek, you know, and and so that's what I used, except louder, you know. Yeah, and such a different sounding song. But uh, yeah, you're right. Now I, I now that you mention it, I I envision it. Well, we were playing Cripple Creek during that song that that girl Molly from Mississippi was dancing to. Yeah. And I didn't want her to stop. That's a great dance beat. I remember going to Levon Helm's house of sitting there late at night. And uh, and I said, you know, Levon, I I should really give you a credit on that. On you, you know, I was really improvising on Cripple Creek. And, you know, maybe I mean, I'll be very happy to give you a piece of the <laughs> Levon said, Corky, music is a very special thing. You can do anything to music. Music don't care. <laughs> I thought that was great. Music don't care. You can do it. So anyway, anyways, he he refused to take the credit for it. And um, let's put he was a big influence for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you talk about records, and I've I've heard your show, and I know you talk about you know remembering what was your early influences, mm -hmm. uh, audio wise, and yeah, the band were heavy, heavy influence. I go back farther, but. Yeah, they were, they, well, they influenced a lot of people, as you know. But it's funny because we were very friendly with the band in Woodstock. <laughs> Leslie moved there. And it's, we talk about two different approaches to music. You got Mountain, you know, bada boom, bada bam. And you got, you know, got the band, you know, really that American, beautiful cultural vibe. Mm -hmm. But they're both American. There's no question about it. Yeah. Anyways, uh, there I go again, Michael, rambling <laughs> on. There you go again. But uh, that's okay. I, I hear you. I mean, you've been you've been around the the business so long. You you've got a ton of great stories. But what I'm interested in too is is now that Mississippi Queen is 50 years old, you could walk into a store. Somebody's got the radio on, and that comes on. What goes through your mind when you hear that song? Does does it? Do you still get that same thrill of the first time you heard it on the radio? That's funny you say that. We were at a at a restaurant last, sort of a pub restaurant after our rehearsal yesterday. We walk in, and they didn't know who we were or what, whatever. Richie Scarlett was sitting there. Some guy recognized Richie from Alice Cooper, you know. And Richie were talking and. You know, Richie's saying it being very cool and all these people are gathering around our table. And sure enough, out of nowhere, Mississippi Queen comes on the radio. It couldn't have been timed better. You know, you know, if I was a little younger, I would have got lucky. But as it turned out, it was timely. Yeah, I got it. It's always a thrill. Come on. You listen to your stuff. That's 50. That's what I'm saying. 50 years later. You know, these people are still coming to the shows and they love the repertoire. And a lot of them are very young kids, you know, saying, wow, my dad, my granddad told me about my great grandfather heard this record. Yeah. Um, boy, the point is, it's a thrill. It's That's always good. a thrill. They see, because I, I know that some artists feel almost trapped by their their popular songs and they feel they have to play them. And then there are others who are so thankful that that people connected with those songs. So I'm always, uh, I'm always interested to find out. So know, what, let me ask you, Michael, what do you think when you play Mississippi Queen, where do you go in your head? Oh, I just, I go back to the, probably the first time I heard it and, and just 
hearing that beat and that guitar and the singing and all of it coming together. And it's, you know, but I feel like it's different for listeners that didn't create the music, but maybe it's not different. Maybe the, for the musician, it's the same. Well, the binaural part of it, right? You're listening, your head, your ears. If it's a certain sound, it will, it will burn it up in your brain. I love it, you mm -hmm. know? But it, well, to answer your question, yeah, it's always a thrill. And there's two or three cents Canadian in your pocket for that too. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that, you know, you go back further. What, what kind of music did you listen to when you were young that got you interested in playing the drums? My mother loved Cuban music. We lived in Montreal, Canada. We had no problem with, with, with uh, Cuba. So my mother used to get these records, these Cuban records, and she played them in the kitchen. You know, we lived in a modest house, and that's where she had her little record phonograph. And our bedroom was right behind it. I have three brothers. So the four of us slept in a bedroom, you know, and bunk beds right beside the kitchen. And mm -hmm. my, my mother and my father would dance to this Cuban music. I didn't really know, but started hearing the bongos and the cowbells. Now, I, I am not going to be pretentious about saying that I play Latin music. I don't. But the feel of the Cuban vibe is very sexy, very sensual. And it does, it, it gets to me all the time, whether it's salsa or rumba, you name it. My mother loved to dance to it. So my early influence, I don't even know if I knew what music was because my brothers and I, we would just listen to it because it came through the walls while my, while my, my parents danced. It was quite wonderful, actually. And then my sister would bring home these jazz records, Art Blakely and the Jazz Messengers, you know, John Coltrane. All, and I had no idea about that. But this was when that jazz was coming up and... Um, yeah, uh, so the combination of that kind of, and of course, Gene Krupa, every drummer these days, there's no way you can't use Gene Krupa as a huge influence. I loved this mug. I loved the way he looked. He looked like he was, it was such a joy to play. A lot of drummers are pretty stiff when they play because they're concentrating. I mean, Joe Morello, brilliant drummer, but he's concentrating on the technique. Uh, there's a certain face that you make when you play. You can't check with it doesn't make any difference on the trumpet or the sax player because it's in their mouth. But the expression of it on Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich and those guys, it was a joy. It was it was lifeblood, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I always connected with that. You know, I wish I was more technical, but I, I don't know. Can you swear on the show? Yeah, do what you want, man. <laughs> you earned that right. I, I fucking loved it. <laughs> it was, I loved it. I didn't know what I never say fuck or shit in front of a C-H-I-L-D. <laughs> but I, anyways, yeah, I fell in love with it and I never fell out of love. I've yeah. run into I've run into drum Billy Cobham and a few drummers over the years, you know, who we played. We were on the road, West Bruce and Lang, ran into some amazing bands, you know, and the drummers are I'm hanging up my sticks. I'm not getting hot tired. You know, there's all kinds of uh uh, manic depression see that goes around with with especially drummers because if you're not playing you're dying you know i think it was dylan says you're not busy living you're dying and if you're not busy drumming you're dying so a lot of drummers hang up their sticks and they come back to them i don't remember ever hanging up my sticks and uh i don't know i just again i'll say it i fucking love it and I still, and I can't wait to get, get you know, get to, uh, to the, we're, we're rehearsing at Howard's today just to get a vibe going. So when did you take that right turn into rock and roll music? Oh, oh, uh, when the electric bass came in. The electric bass. My buddy, George Gardos, we played in the school high school band and he had the stand-up bass. And that's that year or that time they were coming up with the bass amp, Ampeg bass amp, and they had the bass guitar. That's that's when rock started. That's that's when rock really started internationally, mm -hmm. nationally, with the electric bass. Yeah, there were rock and roll records before that, but um, no, um, that's it. Mid sixties. Yeah. Did you remember? Do you remember the first record that you bought with your own money? Yeah, I do. I do. It was uh, Elvis Presley. You know, uh, was it Elvis Presley? All shook up. Yeah. Hound Dog. 
all shook up. Yeah, I remember going to the store and buying the 78 at the time. God, I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of people on your show that go back and go back and go back. <laughs> like, how old are you? Uh, and I remember, uh, yeah, I, I love I love the Four Seasons. You know, actually, I think the leader of the Four Seasons was the drummer. And if I go back to a lot of bands, the leader of some of the big bands were drummers. You know, Levon was the leader of the band, uh, Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, you know, uh, Emerson, Lake and Palm. And you, you, they're all they're all part of um, they're all part of that that community. I got to tell you, up in Long Island, you're from Ohio. When I moved down from Canada uh, to New York and of course, Leslie's from Long Island. You had all these drummers. I loved Dino Dinelli from the Rascals. I loved him. Uh, uh, Bobby Rondinelli, Sandy Gennaro, uh, Carmine Apici, all these guys. And I remember speaking to Carmine. I said, Carmine, do I have to change my name to Corky Linguini to be part of the cult? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're all, yeah. these great, all these great drummers that come from Long Island, you know? And, uh, but I'm not going to change. Uh, yeah. Carmine says, don't, don't bother changing the name. It's, it's no big deal. Are you still, a, are you still a guy who listens to a lot of music or do you just spend more time creating it? I, that's a good question. You know, um, both 50, 50, you know, yeah. I'm always thinking about writing and I'm really lucky to have a session. I went to Finland and there was a, a studio. Uh, my manager uh, lives there. And I stay with her and we have a studio there. So I'm able to write all the time. And you, sometimes you can write too much, you know, and there's just a lot of ideas that get away. But I'm happy because uh, some of the bands over in Finland are, well, a certain band is picking up on the songs that we're writing there and some great musicians there. So when you ask, what do I do first? Um, I'm always listening. I think every musician, your, your ears are always attuned, you know, to something. Mm -hmm. Well, looks like a lost Corky there. We'll give him a minute here to see if he pops back in. Technology. I have to say, this is the first time I've lost an interview in the middle. <laughs> so I guess I'm doing all right. Well, in case he doesn't come back, I do want to say, you can get Corky Lang's uh, bundle at uh, prudentialmusicgroup.com slash store. And for $40, $39.99, you can get uh, Corky Lang's uh, The Toledo Sessions, which we were talking about earlier. Great album. Uh, on limited edition orange vinyl, you also get it on CD. And you get uh, his Pompeii Secret Sessions album on uh, limited edition yellow vinyl. So two vinyl albums and a CD for uh, $39.99. You also get a hand uh, a handwritten letter signed by Corky. So looks like we got Corky back. Are you there, Mike? I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, M Michael, I'm sorry. I just got all these phone calls that Charlie <laughs> Watts just died. Oh, no. Yeah, just that's what the interruption was. Oh, I'm, that's I'm terrible. Sorry about, I'm more sorry about Charlie. I heard we were talking about Charlie not going on the tour with them because he wasn't feeling well, uh -huh. you know. And then and I, between you and I, I said, I don't know about the Stones being on Stones without Charlie. You know, here we are talking about drummers. And sure yeah. enough, we get this. Oh, my, 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 you know, geez, you know, talk about it. A brilliant, really substantial human being. Really, yeah. he's a superman. Uh, well, OK, well, we can get 80 years on. old. I, I just looked I just looked. It's all over social media. That's terrible. Uh, that's going to have to listen to some stones today now to uh, to uh, yeah. sort of mourn that. But uh, I don't I don't know if the words prophetic, you know, that we're talking about drummers here on this on this podcast but wow wow well we're all you know i've been faced with a few uh a few mates uh who have passed on leslie mm -hmm. went last christmas and uh you know the only thing you could say and and this is where you come in mike and i'm not blowing smoke here but the fact that you got shows reminding people of songs of material what really kept them alive mm -hmm. before whatever they feel and after whatever they feel all these people they'll be around forever you know leslie west will be around forever i happen to be physically here talking to you but um you talk about recording you know the the immortal words and 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 songs that come from come from these people uh but it is that time in our life isn't it michael 
there it is that time in our life where um we can expect these calls you know yeah. start i think it happened after uh, you get into your 50s 60s and it, it, before this it was a drug oriented death but now it's it's a natural death in many cases now yeah. which i don't know if that means anything but uh, well michael um i have to say i'm a little bit i'm a little bit uh, a little bit upset about this yeah. charlie uh, he he wasn't a best friend but i i knew him on many occasions and one of the quiet sort of like me quiet right right corky yeah shy like shy like me right corky yeah you got it no he was a beautiful human being i mean apart from being he was never a rock and roll star he mm -hmm. was a rock and roll music he was a jazz musician actually now that we i don't have you ever heard some of his records some of his his uh charlie watts's records yeah i've, I've heard a lot of the, the stones uh individual stuff it's it's all kind of all over the place kind of like the stones were at times Yes, yes, very jazz oriented. Um, I would dedicate this this particular show myself to Charlie. Wow, wow, yeah, I would dedicate this show to him. Yeah, it's too bad. It's it's. I mean, we've all had our lives touched by their music. You talk about the immortality that music gives uh, these musicians, and of course, the Rolling Stones are going to live forever through their yeah. music uh, and through all the lives they've touched through their music. So. Um, you know, is, is there anything from the Rolling Stones that particularly sticks out to you? Shit, I loved every, uh, black, what was it, painted black. I love, I love that. Charlie's drumming on that, you know, the bass part and, yeah, uh, painted black. Yeah, I could, I think we can paint a few things black, but try to stay a little optimistic on this particular <laughs> rap. Um, yeah, painted black. Well, you were gone. I was telling the viewers and, and the listeners that they can get your your bundle at prudentialmusicgroup.com slash store. And it's got the, the Toledo sessions on orange vinyl and on CD and your Pompeii secret sessions, limited edition uh, colored vinyl. And you get a, a letter hand signed by you. How did that start? How did that happen? <laughs> well, the guy, there's a, I have some friend. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Jason Hartless Jr. He's a drummer that I was teaching him when he was six years old, way back. I taught him how to taught him. I didn't really teach him. He did it. But he would, yeah, I influenced him over the years back and forth. His father started a record company with this company, Prudential Insurance. I, weird thing. And he really, he heard I was doing these sessions in Toledo and he said, I'd love to put it out on our label. Uh, at the time it was, I think it was third man records, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, I'm trying to think now, uh, third, you know, the, the white stripes, what's his Jack? Jack, Jack. Yeah. Jack started this company, third man records, which is out of Detroit. And uh, Jason Hartless, my buddy, put his record label on the distribution of Third Man Records, which is out of Detroit. And and he's a promotion guy. Jason Hartless, they, you know, it's not a big record company, but they're terrific. And he, it's a vinyl company. He says, I'd love to put it out on vinyl. I said, great. Talk about old school, you know. And I said, fine. So the Toledo Sessions are available on this vinyl and then he he found this record secret sessions which i've done over it's a compilation i've done over the last 30 years mm -hmm. that i've worked with different people and so i chose the songs that i personally liked and it turns out todd rundgren eric clapton ian hunter mick ronson they all played on these records over the years and jason hartless wanted to release it and you have to give it for the record store day, you have to give it a name of a band. You can't just have it secret sessions. So uh, <laughs> it was a joke. We were in Woodstock recording some of that, uh, one part of that way back in the late seventies. And in the town, they called us Pompeii because we were on top of the mountain there. And we, you know, and this was the early, early late seventies, early eighties. And all the people, they would, you know, the, the dinosaurs are up there in Pompeii. So they <laughs> named the record because all the people 
on there. I think most of them are still alive, but you know, Mick Ronson, some brilliant people, brilliant players. Felix is on there. Leslie's on there. Uh, Ian Hunter, like I said, Eric Clapton, there's a, uh, John Sebastian's. I mm-hmm. mean, there's a lot of great musicians. And what I'm saying to you right now is I was very proud. I was very proud of the material itself. It wasn't just jamming. I mean, yeah. these were songs that were written uh, and some of them were pretty good. They weren't hit records for that mm-hmm. matter. But uh, Jason, Jason Hartley said it would be great these, since they're such, well, they're, it's a unique release. It's not just an everyday release. It's yeah. especially, do you want to write a letter? And I said, fine. <laughs> I write a, you know, I, I don't consider, you know, uh, these people that come to shows as fans. You know, I'm not like a celebrity. They're, they're friends. They're friends. So I, I said, sure, right? So I write letters every now and then. He'll mm-hmm. write something for a certain release. And uh, I guess it's, I take it personally. I take this business, uh, not the business personally. I take the music personally. Uh, the business, do what you want with it. There's mm-hmm. nothing much to do right now, actually. But yes, so I, yes, I like to write songs and write letters to people who write that's why the book is called letters to sarah it's a it's it's a book that i wrote uh that's also that's also available on amazon on amazon i was going to get to that i was gonna i was gonna segue into that but i'm glad you did it was uh it's your autobiography but it's, it's largely written in excerpts from letters that you actually wrote to your mom and your mom kept them yes that's exactly right. And my manager, who's now my partner, Tuja Takala, she is she works at the University of Helsinki and she worked at the University of Manchester. She's a terrific gal and very ta- so when we were she says, I went to your Wikipedia when we started working together. I went to your Wikipedia and she said, It's awful. It's all over the place. She says, because she was gonna manage, I gotta put this together. So at the time she was coming down to where I was working in Long Island, where I, I had stored these boxes that when my mother passed, they were all packed up. I didn't know my mother was keeping these letters like over 30, 40 years. I'd write, you know, I'm on the road. It gets pretty lonely out there, Michael, you know, after the show, you're at Carnegie Hall. It's wonderful. The people are good. And then you go back to the hotel. It's pretty lonely. So I used to write my mother and just update her. Of course, probably had a buzz or two, a couple of drinks, but I'd write her and just tell her, Mama, I mean, you know, I can't believe it. Here I am at Carnegie Hall. And, you know, do you remember I played no tell motel? And it was their letters that she kept, which was very charming. And Tuja, my partner, found the letters and she's the one that put together the book. And she just said, Cork, I know there's a lot of musicians writing books about, you know, snorting ants off the kitchen table, whatever, with Ozzy Osbourne. She says, I won't do that. We won't write, no, you know, the diary of a heroin addict. She wouldn't do that. She says, these letters are real. And these letters were written over your ascent as I ascended through the music business or career from when I played local places and out of Montreal and, and Toronto. And, uh, it was a Hey, I was very lucky to have that, but I wrote my mother and I couldn't believe it. So it's, there's a chronicle of all these things. And I don't know if you call it a memoir, uh, but call it what you want. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to say memoir because it's not quite everything. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just what happened with those letters. And I don't know anybody that writes letters these days anyways, do you? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lost art. It's it's actually one of the things that when I was researching this, I didn't know about the book and I can't wait to get it now because that's that's the kind of thing I'm interested in. It's it's your thoughts at the time. It's a real time capsule. Well, I yeah, I hope you enjoy it, Mike. I do. I, I it took a couple of years and Tuya kept track. Well, they were right there, letters. She just, oh, you know, whether it was 1963, 1968, going through Nantucket, coming, mm-hmm. joining Mountain, then going to England, West Bruce. It was, what a trip, Mike. It was great. It, yeah. But it's in the book. It's in the book, but it's it's not flattering. There was a lot of very down times, you know, mm-hmm. which I didn't, until he says, no, just tell it like it is. Tell the truth, which whatever's going on. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope yeah. people can, can get hold of it because, uh, because, uh, 
I think they'd like it. You know, it's, 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 it's a story. It's a story. It's a real story. And I'm really glad to be here. And I still have a pulse to tell you about it. You know, you can get that on Amazon still, I think. And um, before we turn the page on Pompeii, one thing that I wanted to uh, ask you about was you guys did a cover of a song that's not an obvious cover. You guys did a cover of Randy Van Warmer, Just When I Needed You Most. You're packed in the morning, I stared out the window, struggling for something to say. You left in the rain without closing the door, I didn't stand in your Who's I, was that your idea? That's a great song. I, I've always loved that song. Uh, that's you remember Albert Grossman, Uncle Albert, Albert Grossman, the manager, okay. Janice. Anyways, I was hanging with him and his beautiful wife, um, uh, as Sally. She was terrific. Randy was up there, and Paul Butterfield, and we're hanging at this bar in Dino's in Woodstock. All of us sit around and. Uh, and Randy says, I got this song I'm writing. And I didn't know who he was. And Paul Butterfield said, it's a great song, man. You got it. He says, I'm going to record it. This is Paul Butterfield. <laughs> I'm going to record it. So Paul Butterfield starts singing to me. You packed in the morning. I put, you know, I mean, I'm going, yeah. wow. And that's and then I was in the studio doing the secret sessions or that part of that. And we go up to the studio and, and, and Paul Butterfield's a piece of work. You know, you don't get, nothing gets in his way. I'm sitting on the microphone doing another seat. Come on. You packed in the morning. I leered out my window. Wondering why <laughs> it just took over. And, and Albert Grossman walks in because it's Bearsville Studios. He walks in. What are you guys doing? And I said, you know, Albert, it's a great. I was doing my record, my solo record. Uh, and I said, uh, I remember hearing it. And Albert said, as I said, I want to do it. Albert says, well, we're saving that song as a single. We, we think this is a hit record. I said, of course, it's a hit record. But I don't know if I'm going to make it a hit record because I have a very woody voice. And, and Randy's got this beautiful soprano voice. And, <laughs> and so I. We, Ian was there, started playing acoustic and Felix and we were, you know, and Felix is a Felix Papillari is a folky. So mm -hmm. we we did a version. I loved it, but it was in, in a weird key, you know, it was in like an open, open key, open string key. Anyways, so we played it and we called it the Woody version, you know, <laughs> because I did put it. Albert says you can record it, but you can't release it as a single. Yeah, And it's funny because I mixed it at Criteria Studios. And where did he record Randy? Randy went to Criteria in Miami with these producers and they did a, a real single treatment and beautifully done. I was very proud to have discovered it with Paul. You know, it's kind of one of those things you feel, you know, you find a song uh, and uh, <laughs> I just you brought that up. That's very funny because... Like you said, it gets no attention at all except for some audio files that go, wait, what was that? That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was recorded in Woodstock, not like an acoustic version. And um, I never played it live. I should play it live. It's a great song, great song. Yeah, it's one of those songs I think that people don't, like just hearing me say the name of it, they might not think back to what it was but if they heard it they would go oh yeah i remember this that's song. right you know? that's right but i always have gravitated to... to those songs those 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 kind of songs that fall through the cracks i've always gravitated towards those types of singles and that one's always stuck with me and it's sad sad that randy's no longer with us either is randy still around i think randy passed in like 2004 oh wow because he was he was a young dude he was young. Well, yeah. he was young. Everybody was young back then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, wow. 
Yes. Well, I guess maybe I will put it in my solo set now that you brought it up because it's in a, it's in a weird key. It's very low. You're packed in. It's very low, but it's a, it's a sentimental song. But yeah, well, I'm glad you liked it, uh, Mike. We have one guy that, that bought it. Um, <laughs> what uh, what keeps you going? What what makes you keep doing music and, and, and not just like calling it a day? Ego. I got I got to do it for my ego. I love to perform, you know, that's this, this, this COVID thing is along with many, many performing musicians. It's killing us. It takes it out. You got, you know what I mean? It's just, I've all, I really never cared. I should, I really never cared about the money because I was having such a good time. <laughs> it shows now because I ain't got any money. You know, I never cared. <laughs> but no, I'm not complaining. I'm very lucky. I'm very, very lucky. I've had some, uh, some terrific mates and terrific friends, uh, terrific women in my life. And I just think you surround yourself with it and you got to keep them happy. You got to progress. You got to perform. Everybody's got to perform. You're, you're here. You're, whatever you're doing, you're performing. We're all doing it. Uh, that's what keeps us all going is waking up in the morning, putting the shoes on the floor and saying, am I going to walk on these things and move forward or, uh, or am I just going to give up? And as a drummer, you, you make up your mind, you're going to keep running and you keep those bass drums going. And it's kind of like any kind of athlete. You know, why are you climbing that mountain? Because it's there. Why are you playing that song? Because it's there. And I do it because if there's an audience there, I'm there. And, you know, as you could tell, I'm pretty shy, pretty quiet guy. Yeah. And I, th I think I just think. We're very lucky. And keeping in mind, to be a teenager in the 50s was to be a nobody. To be a teenager in the 60s was to be an everybody. And I was lucky, and I suppose you were lucky to be able to experience, to experience that time, that soundtrack, you know? And I'm caught up in the soundtrack of my life, and I'm going to play the drums to that soundtrack. what i feel that's a great answer that's a great answer do you have a favorite uh piece of work from your career that you know that you always think back on it that particularly stands out as something you're proud of yeah yeah there's one that i liked ultra rock with the sax player from the stones We did a session. He he invited Felix and I in. Uh, come on, Cork. What's his Bobby? He played. He had, it was his solo record, and it's a song called Ultra Rock. Okay. And uh, uh, Bobby Keys. 
There you go. Thank you. You win behind the first curtain. Okay, Bobby <laughs> Key. And uh, yeah, I just loved my drumming there because I was actually playing with Charlie Watts' drum set because this wow. is over at Trident Studios. I believe it was his set. And, and I also played on his set, as we're talking about Charlie, I played on his set at Bearsville because the Stones were rehearsing there. And I remember I got a call from his drum row, he, Michael. He says, listen, I see you have a Heyman drum set. Heyman, which is an English drum set. They're known for play, you know, doing uh, guitars and um, basses. Jack Bruce had a Heyman. And Charlie was flipped out that there was a Heyman drum set at Bearsville. Could he use it while he's rehearsing? Because they usually, usually use Gretsch. And I said, it would be a bill. Chad, go ahead. And I'll tell you, Mike, he walked in and tuned that drum set that I never had a drum set tuned like that. It wasn't anything special. It was like right on. The bass drum was big. It was the Rolling Stones bass drum. And I was playing and it was a different session than the one that I was with with Bobby Keys. But yeah, it was, I don't know. I'm all over the place right now, uh, Michael, but um, I forget what we were talking about. It's understandable. I, I was just asking you about the, you know, your something that stood out that you played on and, and you, you answered the question. So that's great. You have played with everyone from, I mean, you mentioned some of the guys on, on uh, secret sessions already, just incredible lineup, Ian Hunter, Eric Clapton, Dickie Betts, John Sebastian, Mick Ronson, Leslie West. Uh, you've played with Bo Diddley, John Lennon, Mahogany Rush, 10 years after meatloaf, uh, Men Without Hats. How did that happen? How did you get involved with Men Without Hats? <laughs> because these are some, you're digging deep. I got a call from Montreal. I was in between millions. I couldn't get arrested after I went off, you know, we were off the road. This is, nah, bah, bah. it's got to be the late 80s. I finished with Meatloaf. I was really feeling sorry for myself. Friend of mine turned me on to Polygram Records in Canada. They were looking for an A&R guy. So I said, it's good. I went up to Montreal and they hired me as an A&R guy for Polygram Records. And, they, and we started, the first thing they said, the president of the company, who was from Germany, uh, said, we have a problem. We've got to get men without hats into A&R. Excuse me, into, into like a rock vibe. Right now they're in a pop vibe. So they asked me somehow to take Men Without Hats from uh, safety dance to some sort of rock vibe. So I said, it's very simple. Just put guitars in their hands instead of all the keyboards. And I did that. And I think the second record they came out with, it sold really well. I was working for Polygram and hence I got a chance to work with them. Um, and, uh, that's the story. I just laugh when you bring that up because it's kind of like a and r is what you do anyways, as a drummer, you're always picking material and trying to find what, you know, what, what, the, what highlights the material, et cetera. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, I worked for Polygram. I became vice president of A&R at Polygram in Canada, and then they got bought over by A&M records. So they kicked everybody out. But I had a chance to work with some great, great musicians, you know, uh, and yeah, and that was one of them. Uh, men, I think they're on the road still. I think they're up. Yeah, I think they're getting ready to release a new album pretty soon. Uh, yeah, I, believe, I hope so. they do well. I hope they do well. They had a really good. I'm not going to get into any criticism and be an observation. Uh, it was a family thing. They were brothers. I'm not sure if the brothers are still together, mm -hmm. but it was a sibling rivalry is what it was. Uh, okay, so that's the story of Polygram. That yeah. could be tough. Uh, Corky Lang, thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous with your time. Uh, I don't want to take up any more of it. I know you got a, a lot to do. I, I'm glad you're on the road. I hope that uh, I can get a chance to get out and see you. Toledo Where are you? Sessions. I'm I'm in Orlando, Florida now. Are you oh, heading okay. down this way? Yes, I am. We're coming down to play a show, a big show, actually, in January. Good time of year. It's a, it's a big festival. Keep your eye. If you go to Corky Lang Works, dot com slash live it has it has the schedule hopefully everybody's happy everybody's safe and healthy and they'll show up and the shows will go on because mm -hmm. right now 
it's very touch and go, you know, but yeah. yes, we'll be in, I love Florida. We'll be in Florida for a yeah, while. That's a good time of year to be here in January. It is. It's actually um, my, we're playing on my birthday. I remember that. Oh, so, nice. so, so I'll be another year old. Go figure another year. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Well, thank, uh, thank, thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. I'm going to run and do what I do, what I do and, uh, and play, you know, all right. Thank you so much, Corky. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye now. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.